Welcome to Baptist Perspective with Jimmy Barber. Whether you're listening while driving home from work, sitting with a hot cup of coffee, or making dinner, we hope this podcast will be thought-provoking and edifying. Now, here with today's episode is Jimmy Barber. In our previous study, we found that the New Testament church is a congregation of the Lord and that Christ gave all power and authority to each congregation as well as everything needful for carrying on that order in worship and discipline, which he hath instituted to observe with commands and rules for the due and right exerting and executing of that power. This is so affirmed by the Baptist Confessions in the earliest days of Europe and America as stated in the London Baptist Confession of 1689 and also adopted by the early Baptists in America by the Philadelphia Association. Chapter 26, Article 8 of this confession says, A particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church, so called and gathered, for the peculiar administration of ordinances and execution of power or duty which he entrusts them with or calls them to, to be continued to the end of the world, are bishops or elders and deacons, end of quote. Notice that the officers are one appointed by Christ, two chosen and set apart by the congregation, three for the administration of the ordinances, four for executing execution of power or duty which God entrusts with or calls them to, five that these officers are to continue to the end of the world, and six, that such officers are bishops or elders and deacons. Nothing is said of any other officer within or apart from the congregation. Nothing is said of any auxiliary organization, institution, society, association, synod, council, or group for ecclesiastical authority. Allow me to digress at this point and say that a congregation may seek the advice of a minister or a group of ministers from separate congregations, or even seek the wisdom of other congregations regarding a matter. But in the end, the final word is within the congregation itself. This is what was seen with the congregation at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. The whole church congregation was involved. I would also say that this appeared to be the purpose of associations in the early days of the Baptist in America. But sad to say, later, often associations assumed powers over various congregations. However, congregations working together for the mutual benefit of a godly cause is encouraged. But the cause must not ever be deemed more important than the congregation. In other words, it is good to provide support to mission work, but when such support fails to support 
the pastor or pastors of the congregation or the poor and needful within the congregation, it is wrong. Yes, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, but especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6.10 While Paul collected money for the saints at Jerusalem, he equally taught those congregations that the ministers are to be supported. Compare Galatians, uh, excuse me, compare 1 Corinthians chapters 9 and 16. This principle equally applies to poor widows and others within the assembly. I draw your attention here that the missionary congregations, that is, congregations established by mission work such as Corinth, Philippi, and others, contributed to the so-called mother congregation at Jerusalem. How many missionary congregations do you know of that ever sent send support to the congregations from which the ministers were sent to establish or build up the so-called missionary assemblies? Is it any wonder that Christianity as a whole is backward from what is taught in the Scriptures? Please do not misunderstand me. I am not condemning what is called mission work. Far from it. May the gospel be proclaimed throughout the entire world. I only desire that we are not guilty of letting a good thing be used contrary to the health and benefit of the congregation as established by the Lord Jesus. Obviously, if we fail to function as our Lord ordained in the Scriptures, we fail to honor and glorify Him as He ordained. Let us return from our digression back to the subject at hand. We find first that the officers are appointed by Christ. This is to say that the officers within, not over, the congregation are appointed by Christ. In other words, Officers who are constituted by man are not of God. Obviously, the ministers should be called by God, but we must remember that deacons are included in the list. While deacons must meet certain qualifications prior to ordination, we must not think that because a man has all the qualifications for being a deacon, he must be recognized or ordained as such. When the congregation at Jerusalem selected the seven men in Acts chapter 6, we must not conclude that they were the only men that were of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, Acts 6.3. Therefore, when the confession says that the officers appointed by Christ, it means those listed are the officers that God or Christ ordained, which are bishops or elders, and deacons. There are no other officers, and we will continue with this premise. However, the Lord willing, we will study these officers in detail later. The second thing listed is that they are to be chosen and set apart by the church, that is, so called and gathered. It is clear that the church intended is a congregation. 
Therefore, no Bible college or seminary or denominational hierarchy has any authority to designate or ordain any man to the ministry or deaconship. Additionally, when a congregation has appointed and ordained a man to either office, it is not obligatory that such an individual maintain the same position in another congregation. In other words, if a man is a deacon in one congregation, and if he moves to a different location and becomes a member in another congregation, the second congregation is not obligated to appoint him to be a deacon. The second assembly may already have sufficient number of deacons. The same may be said regarding the office of eldership or pastor in the second assembly. It is left to the discretion of the congregation as to whether an individual may function within the congregation. Because a person functions as an officer in one congregation, he should not be expected to function accordingly in another congregation. He should not take offense when he is not recognized as such. We must all remember that it is Christ that has the preeminence and that each member of the congregation is there for the honor and glory of the Lord. On the other hand, if a transfer of membership takes place of an officer and the subsequent congregation has a need for such an officer, she is at liberty and has the authority to recognize the officer. The scriptures plainly show that the congregation is to appoint the officers. It is generally accepted that Acts chapter 6 is when the office of deacon was established. Acts 6.3 plainly says that the congregation was to look out among them for such men to fill the office. The qualifications of a deacon are more specifically outlined in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In Acts 14.23, or excuse me, Acts 14.23 equally declares that elders are selected by the congregation. It says that Paul and Barnabas ordained elders in every congregation. The word ordained is the Greek word kairotoneo, which means to be a hand-reacher or voter, that is, by the raising the hand. Therefore, it was not Paul and Barnabas that selected and established the elders in the congregation in their missionary travels. The congregation selected the men to be their elders. Obviously, synods or any other ecclesiastical authority did not establish the elders in the congregations. The third item given above declares that the officers are for the peculiar administration of ordinances. Generally, both Baptists and Protestants agree with this. However, for those young in the faith, it might be beneficial to review this for their edification. As previously stated, Acts chapter 6 is normally considered the time when deacons were established within the congregation of God. It is recorded that those seven men were set apart, appointed or ordained, 
serve tables, Acts 6-2. According to the context, the tables under consideration were those of the Grecian widows, Acts 6-1. Some advocate that the tables refer to that the tables refer to the table or tables used during the Lord's Supper. Though deacons certainly may be useful and expected by the congregation to exist to assist and support the pastor during the Lord's Supper, the context of Acts chapter six extends to other duties. First Timothy chapter five outlines the qualifications of widows that are to be supported and cared for by the congregation. However, as previously stated, we shall study the office and functions of deacons in more detail later. But for now, we find that while the functions of the deacons are many, it may, and often does, assist the minister with the administration of ordinances, not only the Lord's Supper, but equally with baptism. It is generally believed among all branches of Christendom that the minister of the congregation administer the ordinances. We plan to uh, discuss this more fully when we review the offices and functions in depth. Since our allotted time is used up for today, we will continue in our next session. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Baptist Perspective. We archive our episodes so you can go back anytime and listen again. Do you have a question about something you've heard or just want to let us know you're listening? Visit us at baptistperspective.wordpress.com. That's baptistperspective.wordpress.com. Thanks again for listening.